0: go feed the soul. I'm your host, Nico Barraza. and I just got done last night watching Dr. William L. Sparks' TED Talk. It's titled "The Power of Self Awareness." He gave this in TED Asheville in 2018, TEDx Asheville, excuse me. And if you haven't seen this TED Talk, I want to say it's probably the best TED Talk I've seen as, as far as uh, you know my my opinion goes. I mean, I've seen a bunch of TED Talks, and I had. Um, Betty Hart on the show, and I absolutely love her TED Talk. Has to be one of the top five I've ever seen. Uh, this TED Talk by Dr. Sparks is incredible. Uh, he accounts so many very interesting points around self awareness, why he thinks it's absolutely crucial, uh, the most crucial thing in any of our lives to practice. And I just want to read the excerpt from the TED talk really quickly. And I hope you guys, I'll put the link of of this TED talk in the show notes. I really hope you guys go watch it. I absolutely loved it, or at least go listen to it. um, And then we'll get to the episode. Will's talk, The Power of Self-Awareness, illustrates the transformative potential of giving and receiving feedback. In his talk, he recounts his first class during his doctoral program at George Washington University, when his professor gave him an A on his final paper, but an F in life. During their exchange, Professor Jerry B. Harvey introduced Will to his shadow and helped him see that the dysfunction in his failed marriage had been largely brought by himself, not his ex-wife. Confronted with this reality, Will discusses the implication of understanding how our shadow often brings about the very thing we are trying to avoid. He closes his talk with the broader implications of this exchange and the moral responsibility we have to give and receive honest and candid feedback with those in our lives. William L. Sparks is the Dennis Thompson Chair and Professor of Leadership at the McCall School of Business at Queen's University of Charlotte, where he also serves as the Director of the Office of Leadership Initiatives. So, I mean, this is this is not the guest I'm interviewing, by the way, this week. Uh, the guest is a phenomenal one, just as good as William L. Sparks. But I wanted to bring this talk up first because this idea of self-awareness and dealing with our shadow it is really the premise of... The talk with the guest I have on today. And I highly recommend going and watching this TED Talk um, today or tonight when you get home from work. I think you guys are really going to like it. And today we have Mr. Sean Galanos himself, the love drive, a man who is absolutely blowing up on social media with his relationship and in your face, straight to the point advice on life and love. Love this guy's work. I've been a huge fan since I saw his profile. I think I initially was introduced to Sean's work through my friend Kelsey Grant, who's actually been on the show already. Who is also brilliant. Sean is a phenomenal human being. Um I've become a big fan of the things he puts out mostly because he is so uh sort of to the point with everything. I mean it's just he's just an absolute no bullshit guy. What you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear, which I absolutely love. Um very much palpable and I really enjoy listening to him speak. Uh, his Instagram is a culmination of answering the questions of his followers, which I love, and some brilliant memes as well, too. Now, just a little background on Sean. I'm going to read a little brief excerpt from his webpage, seangalanos.com. My friends always used to ask me for relationship advice. I became great at giving it, but not always so great at living it. Years before I made love my career, people brought their messy relationship issues to me. Went to define the relationship how to know if they like me, how to ask for what I need, etc. In contrast to most people in their lives, I don't judge my friends. I didn't judge my friends and I kept their secrets. I listened to them rather than changing the subject to my relationship issues. I was their trusted confidant. Though I gave excellent relationship advice, I struggled to form healthy relationships myself. I fumbled my way through one after another, often bringing more pain and confusion than love and joy. After yet another relationship ended, I realized I needed help. My struggle with healthy relationships and alcohol addiction brought me to therapy. Spoiler alert, untreated addiction rarely lends itself to healthy relationships with others. Absolutely love that. He has a longer bio. You should definitely go read it. This man is brilliant. Uh, and talking to Sean and getting to know him, one thing just like completely, you know, sort of emanates and radiates from his energy. And that's just complete authenticity. I mean, this, he is a man that's the same as he is online, as I'm sure he is in person, as he is in an interview in a podcast setting. And I really appreciate that. You know, I really try to hold myself to that same character standard in my own life. And, you know, I've, I've tried, have sort of tried to live to that expectation for a long time now. And I can really appreciate that in someone else. So I very much enjoyed this conversation with Sean without further ado. The love drive himself, Mister Galanos. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the show, Sean. I I'm pumped, dude. Really appreciate it. Me too. I've um, I can't remember who sent me your page. It might have been my friend Kelsey Grant, but uh, you know, I follow so many mental health relationship people on on Instagram, and I love your stuff, dude. I just got to say, it's uh, it's so real, and you have this like blunt, sort of blatant, like here it fucking is you know, um, like let's not run from it. No nonsense, man. And I like it. And and it's not like you lack compassion or like the the grace or like the softness required to reach people. But it's just a lot of times, you know, we kind of just need that, you know, dose of medicine, man. You know, it just, like you gotta stop running from your shit or avoiding things. And, (laughs) and I like how you call that out. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's doing it, man. He's, he's like, he's calling us all in, but in a way, like, you know, we, we might not want to hear, but we certainly probably need to hear it. I'm here for it. Yeah, it's been a long,
1: interesting journey. Um You're gonna have to unpink me on the back end. No, no worries. I just tried to re-download the thing and it's it's, it's like still not showing. It's only picking up my FaceTime camera and not the um the external camera that I'm using. Maybe this will be a black and white episode. Sure. Yeah. I've never that, seen myself in black and white before. That depth. <laughs>
0: Um, well, can you start off everyone, Sean, with a little bit of background on yourself and how you got into the work you do now, because you're kind of been going viral, at least what I've seen on Instagram. Like you had 50 K followers when I first started following you 60 K now you're above 80 K and that's within a month and a half, which is pretty amazing growth. So obviously what you're putting out, people are picking up. So how'd you get here?
1: Yeah. Gro- growth is weird. It's, it's funny when it's exponential, you sort of get used to it. Um, yeah you're like, Oh, 80, of course the 80, why not a hundred? You know? <laughs> and when it was like, you know, I remember when it was two, 2000, you know, a couple of years ago and then it was, you know, three and four and then 10, sort of a big milestone. Um, but to answer your question, you know, it's been slowly over time. So I got, got into writing and creating content about love and relationships Seven years ago, in the back of a taxi cab in San Francisco, I was driving a cab. I was a cab driver for maybe like a year. And six months in, it was getting really boring. And my friend said, you should record your conversations with your passengers. And so I did. And I put those on YouTube. So if you if you look up the Love Drive taxi, you'll get a bunch of videos of uh, me driving a taxi in San Francisco seven years ago, having pretty low hanging fruit conversations with people about like, you know, sex, love and relationships.
0: So that's one piece of it, right? Is that where the, the title of the podcast and your handle came from? Yeah. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. Driving around San Francisco talking about love. So that that's one piece. The other piece is that I've always had like a, a well of passion, you know, sort of like bottomless cup of coffee to talk about love, relationships and intimacy. That's the second piece, right? That's the passion piece. And the third piece is that I just really struggled with this stuff. You know, young as a young man, like I really struggled with being honest in relationships, how to open up my heart to other people, how to make requests for what I wanted, how to be, uh, you know, softer and gentler when letting people down or having difficult conversations. Mm. So those are sort of the pieces of, you know, how I got here. And then, of course, training, coaching, courses, certifications, you know, a lot of like a lot of books and mentors, and so that's sort of like a weird way of answering your question of like how how we got to be talking today.
0: And I don't, I didn't know that part of your story about San Francisco. So were you based in the Bay Area, cab driving, and then you moved to the Front Range, or how did you migrate from there to here? I'm originally from
1: Montreal. We moved when I was 13 to the states. Emigrated. Uh, I went to school in Santa Barbara, then I lived in San Francisco for 10 years. And then uh, some five years ago, I moved back to Canada, right around when Trump became president, actually right before. <laughs> and it just was sort of a coincidence. Yeah, It stayed there for five years, um, the whole of his administration. And also, that's just another coincidence. And then um, I have a brother in Boulder, and I have uh, I just wanted to be closer to climbing, skiing, biking, Um, family. Mm -hmm. So I'm here now temporarily in the front range. I don't know where I'm going to settle, but it might, it might be quite
0: possibly could be very close to here. Well, before we get into it, I will say uh, we're going to have to get out for a ski or a climb because it's been pretty much my life for the past 10 years. And uh, if you haven't been to Flagstaff or to the San Juans, you know, in the Southwest of Colorado, um, such good climbing, skiing, uh, just beautiful mountains. You probably have been to San Juans, I imagine, but
1: so, I you know, I haven't really been exploring too much. I've been sort of climbing an eldo and the flat irons and there's a lifetime right
0: by you, so I, I get it. It's it's I Indian know. peaks are amazing.
1: It's literally 12 minutes
0: away. Awesome, my man. Well, that's that's such a cool story. Like I don't I don't I think I know another cab driver. And to like think about having conversations with people on that level in a cab, I think. There's just something super unique about storytelling that way and connecting with people um, on a sort of a deep, vulnerable level. So I'm definitely going to look those videos up because that's that's really intriguing to me. It reminds me of like, uh, you know, James Corden does like taxi cab, like sing offs with like famous musicians and stuff like that. But this is like, you know, almost therapy in a cab kind of thing or just, you know, storytelling from a human being's narrative, which is amazing. What? Yeah, the the original idea was sort of like um,
1: HBO had had a show back in the day called Taxi Cab Confessions, where they had like a hidden camera. I remember and then, it. You know, they yeah. So that meets like love line. Right. Yep. So Adam Corolla, Dr. Drew answering questions about
0: love, relationships, sexuality. So it was sort of like a blend of those two ideas. That's sort of where it came from. So I'm curious, do you have a clinical background in therapy or social work? Uh, like I know a lot of people do. They get into this. You know, I don't. I studied engineering, architecture and science in, in undergrad and graduate school. But I'm curious, like, well, what's your academic background? Does it have anything to do with, with the work you're doing?
1: Uh, I went to school at uh, UCSB for uh, communication theory okay. uh, and not cause I, not cause I wanted to learn anything about communication, but because it was like one of the easiest majors to
0: get into. <laughs> yeah. You Vista kind of a distracting place.
1: <laughs> I never lived in Ivy. Like luckily I lived in Goleta, mm-hmm. which is like the Ivy's bedroom community. And then I would party in Ivy, but then I'd go back to my clean apartment. Um, so I studied communication. I did learn some stuff about communication. I've always been sort of like uh, a complete communicator, I think. You know, I'd, I'd rather like say more than less because mm. somewhere along the line, I learned that uh, the more you communicate, the more they communicate, right? for the most part. The more you share, the more they share. Mm. So I always wanted more clarity. Mm. Uh, so I have a bachelor's in that. And then um, at some point, I got certified as a rape crisis counselor, so supporting... Um, people that have been raped and some training as a sexual educator, because that's also one of my passions. Um, And then I got certified as a coach. So a lot of it is self-taught, some uh, certifications and uh, professional sort of formations to get to where I am, but uh, no formal training in like therapy or psychology, which is something I've like wanted to do for a long time. I remember even 10 years ago, or maybe maybe yeah 10 years ago i would have been 28 and i remember going to ciis in san francisco and mm-hmm. like exploring their counseling psychology program i think and uh i like talked myself out of it because it, i would be 31 by the time i was done right and now i'm 38 yeah. <laughs> like i could have done it 10 years ago yeah so I never did it. And uh, I also prefer to like work with people uh, in group and in online courses and in live workshops and
0: rather than having like a private practice. Yeah, I feel the same way. Cause I actually consider, I've been to grad school six times now, I've dropped out four. Um, and uh, yeah, I was like, man, I really would love to get a, a degree in therapy, but I just, it's just not in the cards in this lifetime, I don't think. So I completely understand that. Um, and I have a couple of friends that have graduated from that program. Uh, in the Bay Area, and it's supposed to be a great yeah. school. So, but what you're doing, my friend, is like you know I, f- I follow a lot of people that are either you know they're clinicians or they have a you know a PsyD or they have a degree in in uh, psychology. But then I follow a lot of people that are sort of from the coach perspective. And I mean, there's I don't like there's a ton of benefit out there, and I don't think you have to have a clinical degree to deeply touch people and help people, you know, especially if you've done a lot of reading, like, and done a lot of your own work. Um, you know, I think a lot of therapists sort of sometimes look down on people that are like, well, they don't have a degree. They're just a coach. And I'm like, well, perhaps, but they've certainly helped a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of deal with their shit. So arguably the whole goal is to get better as a culture, as society, as individuals, as partners, as parents, and however way we get there, you know, it's not only through academia and through austerity.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting that sometimes therapists and I'm pro therapy. I've been in therapy for years. Me I continue too. to see my therapist on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes therapists and academics are uh, not as approachable because they come at it with sort of like an academic lens or mm-hmm. a clinical lens, and they start talking about concepts that are totally valid but mm-hmm. also really hard to understand. Mm-hmm. And I like to break things down into simple language because for me if it's not simple like I'm not going to do it I'm going to mess it up I'm going to fuck up the formula and uh you know I think we we just kind of need to break things down into like bite-sized pieces yeah and so that's what I try to do and I also really try to be careful to not uh, diagnose people to not talk about anything that I don't know about. There's a lot of stuff that I'm just so not qualified to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so I either don't, or I just refer out to therapists, um, which I think some folks, coaches, uh, non, you know, licensed non-professionals are throwing out all sorts of advice, all sorts of, you know, like diagnosing narcissism and how to heal trauma and all that stuff. And it's like, yo, I don't know about that stuff. Like I'm not comfortable advising anybody about that stuff. You probably want to talk to a a doctor or a trained mental health professional. And unfortunately that's not super accessible for a lot of people, right? Therapy is expensive. Yep. Most definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm like blown away that I'm able to afford this and I would make some major sacrifices to my life if I wasn't
0: right? Like I'd go beans and rice over no therapy. I'm the same way, man. I, I've been <laughs> in therapy since I was 23 and took a like four year break when I was running full time and sort of, I was like, oh, I'm healed. I'm good. And I was still running away from a lot of things uh, and no pun intended. And then, uh, you know, after this last separation, uh, in May of 2020, I put myself back into therapy and I'm just like, yeah, this is not going to stop. It's like, you don't go to the gym for two years and then you just like stop and eat pizza and expect, you know, for your, you know, body and your mind to still be healthy, and uh, I think Esther Perel puts it really well. She she has this um, tape when she's uh, in a clinical setting with a couple, and she asks the wife, you know, um, how often do you take your car to get the oil change? She's like, well, every three thousand miles. You know, it's a BMW, really nice car. I take care of it, I love it. And she's like, how many times you've been to therapy in your twenty five year marriage? And she's like, once. And she's like, do you care about your relationship? You know, do you care about your love life? Do you care about everything that it affects? And and do you care about, you know, your self-wisdom and your self-knowledge and your awareness? And, you know, of course the answer is yes for the majority of us. And if it is, it's like, you got to go see the mechanic, you know, probably more than every 3,000 miles too, guys. Um, Yeah. So I just wish, I wish it was more affordable and more accessible. Completely agree. I mean, we have so many, we can, that's a hole in the rabbit hole, but with insurance, accessibility, you know, they'll cover any pharmaceutical in the business for a certain percentage if you have insurance. And again, insurance in this country is insane, but uh, you know, it doesn't cover <laughs> a lot of therapy, a lot of practitioners. And so a lot of them are just private practice pay out of pocket. And, you know, uh, a lot of people do do sliding scale, but even with that, there's so many people, you know, especially the area where I grew up, there's, there's tons of people that just can't access it, you know? Um, so I appreciate you bringing it up. And it's not a
1: quick, it's not a quick pill. It's not, it's that's an, the problem.
0: yeah, that's completely it. Yeah, it's like, people think, <laughs> right. you know, you have 35 years of trauma and you're going to go to therapy for six months and hash your shit out. And it's like, That's not how it works. You've been six months is generous. People think maybe like two, three sessions. Right. Yeah. Six months is, I know I I say that because I've been in it, but I'm like, no, it's, you know, it takes a long time. But let's hammer it out. Yeah. Let's, let's get into it. My friend, like, I'm really curious. I have a a couple of questions written down to kind of lead the conversation, but the thing I wanted to start with is you get a ton of questions submitted to your Instagram and I find it hilarious because a lot of times you're like, you know, you guys are sending me the same questions. Like I've answered this question it's saved, but if you could pull out like two or top or two or three of the top things that people always ask you and, and it might be hard for you to pull that out, but maybe you can cause you get asked them all the time. But I'm just curious on like, what are these questions and why do you think people ask them again and again?
1: So the one that is the most disturbing, that like really, well, troubles me slash is super annoying. (laughs) And I feel bad saying that because like, I have a lot of compassion for people who are struggling with this stuff is my partner did this. Am I wrong to feel this way? Okay. Or similarly, my partner did this or said this. How should I feel? I get this so much, and I actually don't really address it. I maybe need to address this, but how should I feel, right? Which leads me to believe that people don't trust themselves to feel what they need to feel, right? They want an answer as to what is the appropriate emotion in this moment, which is, to me, deeply saddening right? That like we've gotten to this point where there's a lot of people who don't know that it's okay to just feel what you're feeling, right? Like growing up, they didn't get the message, hey, it's okay that you're sad. Hey, it's okay that you're angry. Hey, it's okay that you're frustrated or disappointed, you know, or or feeling lonely. They didn't get that validation that whatever you're feeling is totally valid. It's totally valid. No one can say you're not allowed to feel what you're feeling, right? It's like a very, it's like the most personal thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that like, I don't know how to say this, um, that just because you're angry, um, it's not that you don't have a right to be angry, but like sometimes somebody does something and it angers you and it's not really about the thing that they did. Right. It's a story that you're telling yourself. Mm. Right. It's not connected to them necessarily. Yet some people will project and will take it out on other people rather than doing the work that they need to do inside of themselves to figure out why is this feeling coming up? Mm. So rather asking, rather than asking somebody, how should I feel? Or is it wrong to feel this way? What is this feeling trying to tell me? Right. What is? Why is this coming up right now? How is this connected to my past, most likely, like to my childhood? How is this connected to my core wound, right? That I will never be enough, that I um, will die alone, that I am too much for people, that you know, whatever the story is that you have the core wound. So that's that's the one that is like the most troubling, is not knowing how to feel or wanting to be validated
0: as whether this this emotion that I'm feeling is right or wrong. It's almost like they're like people are asking permission to feel like just from the get go. Right. The one thing that I find really interesting about the questions that most people get asked is it's always from the perspective of someone did this to me. Right. And I don't really hear a lot of I did this to someone, you know, because a lot of people are like, oh, someone did this to me. I'm having a reaction or, or trigger or I'm feeling this way. And not that that's wrong. I think people should talk about that a lot, but I don't hear often. It's really in the minority of people. Like I did this to someone and I'm trying to understand how they're feeling better. I'm trying to understand like how I can be more compassionate, more empathetic. Like, do you get those questions often?
1: I I never get those questions. (laughs) Like maybe 0.1% of questions are, Hey, I messed up. Yeah. I messed up and I want to know how to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's like, because most of the people that follow these kinds of accounts are, uh, you know, more likely to be in a position to be sort of the more submissive one, Mm -hmm. the one that kind of gets messed up on rather than does the messing up. I don't know if that's, I mean, we all mess up. I was going to say, I've done
0: a lot of messing up and I follow everybody,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but it's harder to admit that you're messed, that you messed up than it is to say, someone messed me up. Right. Because then you're taking responsibility for your actions, your reactions, your emotions, your behaviors. I would love to get more of those questions. This is a call to everybody. If you messed up and you want advice on how to, how
0: to, you know, repair, um, hit me up on Instagram. And yeah, you should, definitely. And I think that one of the main things is that, you know, our society and culture sort of judges someone, let's say someone was unfaithful or, you know, um like yelled or screamed at their partner, which, you know, we, we classify as a form of abuse in a lot of settings. You know, I think a lot of people are, are sort of fearful to admit that even if they do know they're in a wrong because it's like they're sort of crumbling their own their self and they're crumbling their own sort of ego that they've built up, and uh, I totally get that. I understand, but until we sort of can have extreme accountability and realize that we've all fucked up on various occasions in multiple ways, it's really hard for us to like, I feel like be in a connective sort of conscious relationship with another because there's still pieces of ourselves that we're kind of hiding from. You know, we don't want to show this in therapy. We don't want to show this to a coach because it really hurts us to know that we've done these things. You know, it, it makes us feel really bad about ourselves. And can you, can you expand on like how we, use those things to not like destroy ourselves, but, but get better or heal or become, you know, better communicators or have higher forms of intimacy.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. You know, what you're talking about sort of is related to shame, right? We have, we've, we've acted in inappropriate ways. Um, we've done the best we could, but in, in in doing that, we've hurt other people. You know, sometimes like your best is like not that great, right? Yeah, like totally. sometimes my best, I'm like, dude, really? Is this is what you're doing today? This is your best. And I'm like, all right, cool. This is my best. And and I'll connect this all together because it's really important to accept where you're at, you know? So uh, when we experience shame, shame is like not very helpful for growth, unless you can move past it right because shame shame is saying uh, you're bad you're bad you did wrong you're not worthy you you messed up you messed up and that's what you get because that's all that you deserve right and so we we have to move past that narrative mm-hmm. that story that we are not good or that we have messed up yeah we messed up because we're humans yeah. right and we're we're like literally we're trying this stuff out on other people we're learning as we go We're testing out all this stuff in our relationships as we go without any formal relationship education. Like somehow we're supposed to just figure this stuff out on our own. And for the most part, we are right. And this is where people like you and I and and other um, creators, professionals, um, mentors, role models are putting stuff out there. So number one is just sort of admitting and accepting the fact that we're going to mess up. We're going to mess up. We are wounded. We are hurt. We're doing the best we can. And basically giving yourself permission to be a bit messy. Yeah. Right. That's why the therapeutic relationship between a therapist and a client is so powerful. If you can open up to them. Right. Because the therapist's role is to really hold space for you Mm. and to like, you know, sort of shine light where you need a little bit of light shown. Yeah. Um, so if you could really open up to a therapist or someone that is safe to open up to, you start to sort of accept these messy parts of your, of yourself, right? And once you accept it, then you can also, you know, when you share it with other people, oftentimes, uh, you'll realize that you're not the only one that does that or feels that, right? So it connects you to other people and that's how we sort of heal the wound, right? We don't heal the wound by covering it up completely. Mm-hmm forever and ever starving it.
0: We have to like expose it to the air and to the light for that whole process to start. Oh man. Yes, I agree. I, the, the follow-up question I have is, you know, it seems to be this really tight line to walk from self-acceptance to accepting we're a bit messy to holding ourselves accountable so that we don't repeat things. Right. And is there, is there something you tell people to like how to walk that tightrope or how to live that balance of life of like, cause I find myself in that entrapment sometimes of like holding myself accountable to the flame. So I'm responsible for my actions and my words. I don't want to repeat the things that are unhealthy or continue to be triggered by the same things. And also accepting that I'm human and I've made mistakes.
1: Man, I'm still really struggling with that. (laughs) Okay. You know, (laughs) too. Uh, as someone who's like, growth oriented, um, I want to continue to improve and to heal. And, you know, sometimes it's just really hard for a long time. And that's just where I'm at. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just totally in acceptance that we are in this for the long haul. Um, our job is to like slowly incrementally become I believe, more kind, more loving, more open, more respectful, set boundaries, speak up, more direct. And you're going to be doing that work for the rest of your life. Yeah. So, you know, I think we live in this hyper productive post-industrial, consumer-driven society that judges your worth by your productivity, right? So there's this societal message that you need to do more and be more and be better and support more. And I'm just like, whoa, can we just slow down a little bit here? There's really no rush. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because we're comparing ourselves to other people, right? And if I compare myself to Elon Musk, financially, I'm not doing so great. Relationally, I think I'm probably doing, I don't know. I don't know his relationships, yeah. but like if I compare myself on one metric, I'm not doing that great. Right. So, which is why I really try not to compare myself to anybody because I'll always find someone that's doing better, seemingly doing better than me. Mm. So I think my message is just like, okay, so you're still messing up. Yeah. You're aware of the thing and you're still messing up. That's okay. Okay right? Like that will get painful enough that you will eventually have to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just trust that that whole process is doing what it needs to do. As long as you're not burying your head in the sand, you know, the whole like, la la la, I know I'm doing it, but I don't just don't care. Right. Um, If the message is like, I know I'm doing it and I really wish I was doing it differently. Mm-hmm. And I hope that it changes soon. Like, I think that's totally good enough for me.
0: Yeah, no, I like how you frame that. And I think awareness is sort of that first step in the gateway of being able to, you know, really invoke change if it's something you think is a bad habit or, you know, some sort of thing you're doing that's not healthy in a relationship or with yourself. You know, so I I appreciate you saying you're still struggling with that, too, because I I personally am. I know I am like I'm a hyper self-critical individual. Uh, You know, it's it's definitely not been a great thing in in my romantic relationships. And as I, you know, work on myself, like that's a tightrope that I'm still sort of like. You know, finding it hard to balance, like holding myself accountable and practicing self-love or, you know, uh, grace and acceptance, that kind of thing. And I think it's okay to say that, but the fact is like, I'm aware of, you know, when I'm doing the shit that I'm repeating again and again, and when I'm making steps, you know, in, in progression forward, it's annoying to have awareness.
1: I'll tell you that awareness of a behavior that you want to change and not changing it is just going to get really old yeah really old like for me this is gosh i'm i've been vaping for like since the beginning of the pandemic Mm. it's like oh that's great like there's a respiratory illness out there so i'm gonna vape (laughs) you know and it's like on and off on and off on and off and and what i know about you know deleterious behaviors or things that you would want to change about yourself there's this this uh concept buddhist concept called like the second arrow you know about this Mm -mm. it's like the first arrow is like the thing that hurts right so for me just vaping hurts like if i vape enough my lungs hurt um or if somebody if you do something bad and you feel you know you like let's say oh let's say um you uh don't get a job that you wanted to get right so that feels bad right that's the first arrow ouch it hurts or somebody breaks up with you Ouch. It hurts. That's the first arrow. The second arrow is the one that you give yourself. You're an idiot for not having prepared for your presentation for the job better. You're an idiot for, or like you're, you're not worthy of the love of this person or you're weak for not being able to vape. That's the second arrow. And that's that second arrow is totally optional.
0: Oh man. Totally optional. I really appreciate that sort of illustrative perspective because I think I have like second to a thousand arrows that come at the end that I'm just shooting at myself, you know, like I just, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people can relate to that. Um, one of the things I really, uh, was curious about is I listened to your episode, uh, on May 18th, you had an episode called No Failed Relationships. And this kind of comes into that second arrow. Cause a lot of times when we, when we get our heart broken or we break someone's heart or we split up or split it up with, you know, we firing arrows at the end a ton because, you know, hopefully we're hopefully trying to hold ourselves accountable. We're seeing when we hurt the person when we were wrong or when we were hurt or when we were wronged. And I'm curious if you can chat about, you know, your perspective on. Uh, that you you don't believe in failed relationships. And I'm sure it has to do with the word failure. Um, But can you expand and talk about that?
1: Yeah, we, I mean, we're just, we're just like living life. We're having a series of experiences, right? I guess, uh, you know, I don't know where I heard this, but wisdom is experienced, not taught, right? And I think growing up, the message I was getting was like a lot of wisdom, from elders about what I should and shouldn't do, but I needed to do those things to learn those lessons, mm, yeah. right? So everything that you do in life shapes who you are, right? Like every breakup, every failed, uh, you know, like every, every, um, failed enterprise. Again, I don't even like to use the word enterprise, like uh job didn't work out or disappointment in your career or um, setbacks with your physical health. Like all those experiences led to who I am today and who you are today. Right. So that quote unquote failed relationship, there was a lot of wisdom that came out of that. It might not look like it, but there was right. You learn some things about yourself, the other person and the relationship, which can help you moving forward. Right. We're learning as we go. And without it's like I was talking to my friend, um, Alana, who is the Alana Dunn, who's the host of Seeing Other People. And she was talking about a, a failed relationship and she wished she had exited it sooner. And then she was talking about her new boyfriend that she loves. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you had exited your relationship sooner, you might not have
0: met your new boyfriend. You would have met some other dude. And you might not have been ready to be the person you are when you met them for it to be so healthy. Totally. Totally. So yeah, no failed
1: relationships. Also, like, yo, huge disappointment, right? Totally heartbreaking. We, we can honor all of the, the disappointment that comes from a relationship that ends. Yeah. But is it a failed relationship? If you walk away with something. Yeah. I can. You got to walk away. If you're okay. If you're not walking away with anything, then maybe it was a failed relationship.
0: <laughs> but I would say you're probably not paying attention. If you are well, not walking away from anything, because there's lessons in I every mean, single thing.
1: Of course. But some, some people are just like, you know, they're just kind of blinders on and just like, Hey, it's never about them. And you know, they're always the victim and can't say I haven't,
0: can't say I haven't been around a few of those folks.
1: Um, (laughs) Can't say I wasn't that person for a long time. That's
0: true. Yeah. No, same here. Um, No, I, I, I really respect that perspective on it because I feel like, uh, this last relationship I, uh, why didn't the my partner left? I didn't leave. And I was like crumbled. You know, I, I really felt like I failed in a lot of ways. You know, I was just like, man, and there was a lot of mistakes made on both ends, but you know, I, I continuously came back to like, man, if I just would have done this different in this situation done that different. And those things aren't untrue. But I think when I was framing it as a failure, it's like, no, I, I learned these things thankful, like thanks to this love and this bond I had with this human being who, who I still love deeply. But I think the thing is, is, is my perspective has changed from the pain is still there and the grief is still there, but it no longer is it like that was a failure. Like the lessons wouldn't have been learned otherwise, you know, like my ears wouldn't have opened that much. Like my sort of ego wouldn't have cracked open that much. If I didn't care about this person enough to look at all these things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that, that by definition is not a failure because I'm learning. And like, that's what wisdom is not the difference between knowledge and wisdom, which you kind of alluded to. And I don't think you can tax anything up, that's a failure if you gain wisdom out of the situation.
1: Yeah. I like to say that there are no, no mistakes in God's world, which is something that I've, I learned through 12 step recovery a long time ago. And I use the word God super loosely, but, um, no mistakes, yeah. you know, even if you fuck up, it's like an alter the course of your life and somebody else's life. And that's just how it is, it, you know, Oh, if I could have, or I should have. Okay, so I should have. I should have done this, or I could have done this, or what if I had. All that stuff is totally mental masturbation. Like, it's it's literally not going to affect your life. Sure, okay. Introspection. Yeah. Looking back. Yeah, seeing how I could apply this to my next relationship. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. all that stuff is very valuable. But like, oh, if I could, if I should... If I had just done this, we'd still be together. But you're not. Mm -hmm. You're not. You're not. No amount of going through these scenarios in your head is actually going to change the present, which is like so painful to admit and to accept, but is crucial to moving on. It's crucial to accept the fact that this person doesn't want to be with you. This job, I mean, I've had so many, I mean, I've experienced a lot of like career rejection. Uh, I'm like good at getting, uh, hearing a no these days just because of so, you just get better at it. You know, some people say, they ask me like, here's a, this is one of the big question that I get a lot is like, I'm terrified of rejection. How can I deal with that?
0: That was literally the next bullet point I have is literally <laughs> dealing with rejection and self-identity um, because, right. <laughs> and let's, let's crack this fucking thing open, dude, because I, um I love how you just went right into that because I agree. Like the more you deal with it, the, the better you get. And it's not like you just brush it off, but you're like, it doesn't, it doesn't affect your self like identity or your presence. If you're, if you're sort of like just steeped in your own, self-respect you know it's okay like this person didn't choose me that's okay They, they have a right not to choose me just like i have a right to choose or not choose someone else right and i find this especially with like online swipe culture and dating these days like so many people are like well this person didn't choose me they just wanted to be friends so fuck them like they're telling me i'm not worthy you know like i get i hear that a lot and i'm like no no that if they said this respectfully they're not telling you you're not worthy of anything they're just saying that like they're not interested in you in a romantic way and that's okay like You know, some people like chocolate cake, some people like vanilla cake, some people like carrot cake. That's all right. It doesn't mean those cakes aren't good. You know, like it's everyone has a slice like and I'd love for you to talk about that since you get asked about dealing with rejection because I relate it directly to, you know, is that person steeped in sort of self wisdom or, or, or awareness enough to be like, this has, this doesn't affect me. And it's okay. Like I can still have respect for especially if it's said in a respectful way, because there's plenty of times I've been rejected by a gal that's interested I'm like, it's okay. Thanks for letting me know whether, rather than leading me on. But then when I, when I'm like, you know, talking to a woman, I'm just like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm really not feeling this in a romantic way, but I would still love to have a connection or be friends or go off for tea or have a conversation. This doesn't this doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes I'll get the response on like, what, like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not interested in me. That like hurts my feelings, you know? And I'm, I'm curious on if you get that a lot and how do we build up resiliency to rejection? Because I think that is such a crucial component that we need to build while not being an asshole. You know? Yeah.
1: All right. So let me just talk about the birth, the, the cake thing real quick. Cause I've got a pizza thing, right? Like, you know, <laughs> rejection isn't personal. It's just a preference, right? And unfortunately you are not it. And so I like talk about Hawaiian pizza, right? Because Hawaiian's like, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> Some people freaking love Hawaiian pizza and other people were just like blasphemy. We'll never eat at a place that even serves Hawaiian pizza, right? But someone said once, which I think is like really insightful and super smart. Yeah, but what if they liked Hawaiian pizza, but then they stopped liking it? So that's the hard thing about rejection. It's like, yo, you, you used to like chocolate cake. I'm chocolate cake. You used to like me. Now you don't like chocolate cake anymore. Like I don't understand, right? So like I like the birthday cake and I like the pizza analogy, but it kind of breaks down when you think about this idea that like they liked you for a bit or sometimes even a really long while yeah. and then something changed, right? Yeah. But I think what what it really comes down to is that like people change. Their needs change. Their desires change their tastes for something changes, right? You're in a relationship with somebody and then they break up with you because something changed. And it could be you, could be them, but they're not willing to do the work or whatever you have isn't working for them. Mm -hmm. And that that hurts, Mm -hmm. right? That hurts. But you also have to look at it in the other way. Would you stay in something that wasn't working for you? Unfortunately, a lot of people do. They do stay for, for far too long for reasons that don't make sense. They stay in situations that don't make sense for them. So I kind of like to look at rejection that way, right? Which is that like, they're doing what they need to do to take care of themselves. You also need to do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, those two things like work. Like right? If we're talking about loving, you know, love relationships, I hope my biggest hope in life is that you the the like royal you is that is there a thing as royal you there is now the royal you whoever's listening that you find someone where you can both meet each other's needs mm. and both have the space that you need and both sort of like coexist and grow together like that's my biggest wish for everybody, and sometimes that just doesn't work out with that person, yeah. And that's okay.
0: I want to get back to that idea because I, the question I have in my mind is like, how do you know when, you know, it's time to leave versus you need to put in more effort and show up and work on it because that's a hard thing to answer. It's, it's, there's a bunch of nuance, right? But I'm really curious about that question. But the the thing that came to mind when we were talking about rejection is especially a lot of people that follow accounts like yours or uh, like, you know, just relational accounts like Mark Groves. I'll, I'll hear this a lot from friends and they're like, well, I was dating someone and then I saw some red flags. Right. And then I told the person I'm seeing some red flags. It's not for me. Right. And I, I'm, I'm curious on what you think about like stating that versus being like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm just not interested. Like, you know, laying someone down a little bit softer because I feel like, you know, we, we throw the terms gaslighting narcissism and these terms around a lot. And I, I think Like I'm, it's great. People are recognizing red flags, but when we sort of use this terminology to kind of like poke at a person because, Hey, I'm seeing some red flags in you, you know, like I'm not, it's not for me. Like, do you think that's because I actually don't answer this question, but do you think that's healthy to say that, like to actually verbalize that or, or should we be putting it in a different way if we're not interested in someone and maybe we did see some red flags? Like,
1: uh, Yeah, I'm happy to answer this. I also want to go back to like how to how to let's loop back um, how to like get comfortable with rejection because I think it's a really, really important piece. Cool. Uh, I don't think we ever need to use the word a red flag in a conversation. (laughs) You know, when when it's like you're not going to say, hey, when you when you said you would call last night and you didn't, that's a huge red flag what I would do and what I have done is to say, um, hey, when you said that you would call last night and you didn't, I felt hurt and disappointed. And I'm kind of curious what happened there.
0: Yeah.
1: Because for me, I agree with you, people run quickly at the first sign of something that doesn't work for them, which is fine, okay? If that's what you want to do and you want to like, Kind of stay in the early stages of a relationship. You're probably going to stay there often with a lot of people because someone is eventually going to do something that you don't like or that doesn't work for you. For me, I see a red flag as an opportunity to get clarity around someone's behavior. And like, if I go back to my first therapist, the more you communicate, the more they communicate. Every time I say this, there's always like a handful of people that are like, they'll use that as an opportunity to gaslight you. They'll, you know, they're narcissists. They'll never. And it's like, all right, cool. If you're, if, If those are the kinds of people that you find yourself in a relationship with, then you you want to know right off the bat if they're going to gaslight you. And if you do, then you can leave. Right. So these red flags are an opportunity for you to get some really good, high quality information about the kind of person that you are getting involved with. And there's no victim blaming here at all. I'm not saying like you're the kind of person that dates people who gaslight. No. When there's a red flag, you bring it up to see how do they react. Mm -hmm. Are they kind and loving? Do they say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. My sister came over last night. haven't seen her in a while. By the time I remember it, it was too late. I'm, you know, it won't happen again. Cool. That's like a beautiful, Mm. you know, response to uh, your concern. And then you, you obviously you see if they do it again, if there's a pattern or if they're like, oh, you know, it's just not, not that big a deal. I didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. You know, don't worry about it. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's a different answer, yes. right? That's giving you some good quality information about the kind of person that you might be getting involved right. with. So, I, red flags are great; they're, they're they're an opportunity to connect. Of course, there there are deal breakers, yeah. right? And I'm just reading something from Art of Dating NYC. I think her name is Eunice um, about like if you have a deal breaker that you are not going to be involved with anybody who does drugs and you catch them doing drugs. Like you don't have to be like, Hey, I, you know, I just can't help notice that you were doing drugs last night. Like what's up with that? You don't have to do it. You can just be like, Hey, by the way, I have like a no drug policy. So I, I, it's not going to work out between you and me. Yeah. Good luck doing all your drugs. Yeah. Um, so just because there's a red flag doesn't mean you have to get curious about it. You could just say like, uh, uh-uh, I'm not into this. This is like a deal breaker for me. But oftentimes, like I think there there could be a conversation to be had so that you can gain some clarity around what's going on before you peace out
0: agreed well let's loop back around to how do we you know deal with rejection how do we grow with it exposure therapy get rejected more
1: (laughs) yeah get rejected more (laughs) uh of course like there are ways of getting rejected right if 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 like you're in early stage dating or something and someone's like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, this is, I'm not feeling the romantic connection. This isn't going to work for me. I wish you the best of luck. Like that's, that's nice. You know, that's, that's nice. That's still going to sting, especially if you like them, but that's nice. Um, if someone tells you that you suck and that you're a loser, that's not going to feel good. Even though the second one to me, if I ever received something like that, I would, I would be like, wow, that person is like really hurting right? They're very wounded to, to want to put me down like that so that they could feel better about themselves. It must be really hard to be them, Yeah, right? That would be my first initial instinct. But ultimately, we're scared of doing things. We're scared of asking for what we want, right? We're scared of having a conversation about how somebody feels about us, or if they want to be exclusive, or if they want to come and meet your family, or if they want to move in together, or whatever Mm. because we're scared of the answer right we're scared of getting a no and so we sort of we limit our opportunities by not asking and it's like wayne gretzky right um you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take which is sort of like new age shoot your shot i guess shoot your shot is the new age one but like what happens when you dare to ask Right, you dare to show up, you dare to make a request. Is that sometimes you're actually going to get what you want? Like it's going to be a yes. Mm -hmm. And when you get a no, you will experience a lot of pain and disappointment, but you will not die. Right? People kind of go to like to the worst case scenario. I don't think anybody's ever died of rejection. People go to the worst case scenario on rejection. Like you will be able to overcome it. And that gives you some faith, right? Some evidence that if you do this again, you might still get a no, but you're not going to die from it, right? Right? It's going to hurt. You'll be disappointed. And since we already know that there are no wrong feelings, you can just feel that disappointment because that was something that you really wanted. And then you can let it go. And you can take it back again because you're going to shoot yourself with another arrow and then you'll let it go again. Yep. And that's sort of the dance of like how to get a little bit more comfortable with rejection.
0: I like how you bring up the sort of persona of someone that says something hurtful being in pain themselves. And and I know I've, I've been that person myself. Like when I've said something super hurtful or done something super hurtful, it's all originated from pain that I wasn't communicating or pain that I did communicate that didn't get acknowledged from another person. Right. And so it's like lashing out, saying something super hurtful, you know, acting out of my inner child or doing just something shitty, honestly. And I like how you bring that up because, you know, if we really get down to it, regardless of what the trigger was, if we're doing something hurtful or saying something hurtful, especially if we're rejected, you know, we just lash back out. A lot of times it's because we're in pain. You know, and I think that people don't give themselves the space to even experience that pain. Their immediate response is, I'm going to swing back, you know, because ouch, you know. And I, I, th- I find that like, you know, mindfulness helps, you know, meditation helps, but there's other practices to do this. But we're really trying to get space between the trigger and the response so we can mm-hmm. sort of breathe and be like, well, wait a minute. I'm feeling this way not only because this person did this, but probably because I have all these things from my childhood, from my background that are coming up now because I'm dealing with abandoned, abandonment stuff. or dealing with this or that, you know, and I'm projecting this and that, and not that this person that we're, you know, I'm personifying isn't, isn't wrong or hasn't wronged us, but it's probably not going to get me what I want or suit the relationship or suit myself to lash out or do this. Because at the end of the day, I always believe like, no matter the trigger, we are responsible for our own words and actions. So someone can be doing anything they want to do. They can be fucking up, you know, absolutely clowning. And if we do something in response, it, even if they triggered us, it's still ours to own in, in my perspective, you know? Um, and of course it's very Gandhi-esque to say, you know, it's impossible. Like you, you shouldn't be triggered. I mean, of course we're going to get pissed off. It happens, you know? But I, I think it's important to be going, again, going back to awareness to be aware of, of that, uh, you know, because ultimately if we don't take responsibility for our triggers and our reactions, you know, no one will. So,
1: it's also it's the only thing we can control, yeah. right? Your your actions, your reactions, it's, that's it. can't control other people. Um, I'm also not saying like, you know, turn the other. If you get, you know, they smack one cheek, you turn the other. Like, no, I mean, we have to set boundaries. We have to walk away when it makes sense, yep. even if that's a family member. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, we don't let people disrespect us. We don't let, uh, you know, any sort of abuse. And this is hard for people who have grown up you know, in abusive homes or environments where it sort of becomes the new normal, right? So there, there's definitely a lot of compassion going out to people who are struggling with this, who are, who are in abusive situations and can't get out. Um, but yeah, it's really hard. It's really, 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 really hard to uh, take space between the stimulus and the response, yeah. right? I mean, monumental, monumentally challenging and some of the work that you will do for the rest of your life to be able to take a step back when you are feeling triggered and resist the urge to lash out monumentally difficult when like emotions are just rampant. Right. And that's where, like you said, mindfulness therapy, exercise, um, self-awareness, yeah. right. And like, Try, you know, mindfulness is really great for, and meditation for exactly that, creating space between stimulus and response.
0: Yeah completely. And I almost think of like the stuff that you teach and preach. It's like, get your communication dialed before those situations happen. So you don't get to the point where you're so triggered that you're not thinking, you're thinking from your lizard brain, you're just lashing out, you know, you're like responsive, like communicate beforehand, work on building healthy foundational relationship skills before that shit happens you know, and that's sort of what practicing love is until you get to like shit when it goes awry, and it always will, but you can handle it before you both get your pitchforks out, you know, and you're just like coming at the other person. You're like, wait a minute, didn't I love this person 10 minutes ago?
1: People are really good at turning the lasers on each other at the end, you know, yeah. and um, I agree. I think it's really cool if you are able. To bring up the little niggling things, you know, the little like, I get the impression that or like that just kind of feels not that great. Get that stuff out at the beginning Mm -hmm. and before it festers and turns into a resentment and then you're projecting and then they're projecting and then everything just like goes up to 11. You're flooded emotionally, right? Your nervous system is fully flooded. You cannot communicate effectively anymore. All the stuff I teach goes out the window. Anything anybody teaches goes out the window until you can like bring your nervous system back down to a calmer state. So yeah, I love the idea of like, I just like to get all those little things out of the way. And just the thing is like you, you keep doing that over and over and over again. It's like pulling weeds before they're like big, right? Like you're still going to be pulling weeds like 20 years from now, but Though There's going to be a lot less to pull. And if you get them early, they're actually kind of easy to pull out, you know? So that was a, yeah. I'm really glad you brought
0: that up. And, and I almost look at it like, you know, when you're pulling weeds, when you're a kid, you're out there with like a bag in one hand, you're just doing it with your bare hands and like your flip flops or whatever. And then as you get kind of older, you're like, no, I need some knee pads from Home Depot. Probably going to wear a long sleeve shirt so the sun doesn't hit me. Probably going to wear a big sombrero hat, you know? And I view that as like, these are like tools and skills you build while going to couples counseling or listening to people like you because you need those things so that when, you know, there's a lot of weeds. It's a little bit more comfortable when you're pulling them together, you know, and totally. you're not just both out there like as little kids, just like, you know, throwing weed, throwing weeds and nothing's getting picked up. It's just like they're, you know, they're still out there. And I, um, I, I love that visual. Cause I'm just like, you know, it's, it's really about sort of coexisting. It's really hard. It's two individual adults. It's a monogamous relationship to coexist for X amount of years. I mean, we're all very difficult People to be around in certain circumstances and yeah. people, I think, and you probably get this question a little bit. Is like, well, when I find my soulmate, it'll be easy.
1: Yeah, I don't get that as a question, but I know that that's a, I know that that's a concept mm. or sort of like a fairy tale belief that, um, when I find the one, it'll all just make sense and fall into place. And I so hope that for everybody listening and, and in my experience, that's just not how it works. Um, falling in love is a temporary state. Um, it's meant for the disillusion of ego boundaries so that there can be a bond that happens. Right. So you kind of, you feel like, you feel like, oh, finally, um, why will escape the existential, you know, loneliness of being a human? Because this person finally gets me and can love me perfectly. My ego boundaries dissolve. We become one for a short period of time enough for us to feel bonded so that we can most likely procreate and then, you know, keep the world going. Uh, not that we need more humans to do that. Um, and then the, the boundaries come back up, yeah. right? Because we are individuals with different stories and needs and fears and, bound, and, and boundaries and, and experiences. And it, it will become challenging. Mm-hmm. There, there is no happily ever after. There is no relationship that is just going to be easy. There are relationships that are going to be easier than others, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know, there, there are people that will trigger you in a way, which just trigger you less, or in a way that's easier to deal with, yeah. right? And there are some people that are going to trigger you more, and you get it. You get to choose who to be in a relationship with. Some of those like really amazing people, you know, they're hot, they're sexy, they got that thing, got the chemistry. They're like fiery. That's fun. That might not be the person that you want to, you know, spend the rest of your life with. Mm-hmm. That chemistry could be like red flags, could be warning bells of something that feels a lot like. Your relationship to your parents growing up, right? Which is also beautiful opportunities to heal some of that older stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> when you meet the one, everything will just kind of click. Uh, it has happened for me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Me neither. But I'm curious. Maybe, some, maybe for some people. Um, the, Good for them. Yeah. No, totally. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I just say with a lot of people, I think it sort of enables us to not deal with our shit. Cause we're just like, well, it's not us. It's just, I got to find the one. Cause then they'll just be like, yeah. Oh, I accept you for all you are. And, and I always find it hard to balance. Cause I'm like, I don't really think anyone should just full on accept me for who I am. Cause I got some shitty parts and I have some, some shadow stuff that I'm still working through. And, um, that's okay. You know, but, but I think to like put that on someone else and be like, Oh, right, here's my shit, accept all of me. I think it's sort of like a scapegoat thing to avoid being like, Hey, you know, I have this stuff I'm aware of when I'm triggered or I react like this, or when I get jealous like this, like this is not your responsibility, but I hope you can understand, you know, that I'm aware of these things. Um, I think that that's a lot more healthy than just being like, please accept me for everything I am. It's, I was just thinking
1: about this, like, you know, like bad romantic quotes and tropes this morning. And one that came up was, um, if you can't accept me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. And I was like, come yeah. on, like, who the hell wants to accept you at your worst? Yeah. Like, show up, please. You know, <laughs> like Karen, you're being an asshole. Um, You know, it's just yeah. like <laughs> Hannah was the name I had in my <laughs> yeah. head. Uh, but it could very well be Steve or This isn't a
0: sex thing. <laughs> no, totally.
1: Uh, but, but, but I never hear a guy say this one. Like, it's always like on TikTok at some, you know, 20 something something. Yeah. um, yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, this is hard work. All this stuff is hard work. I just want to like recognize that if you are struggling in your relationship right now, uh I get it. It's hard. Yeah. It's not it's not easy, it's not obvious. Uh your role models probably weren't that great. And I mean, mine weren't that great. Yeah. That's just and like let's, you know, let's not blame our parents because their role models were even worse, yeah. right? Like there you go. generally speak relationally speaking, right? If we go back yeah. generations, Uh, they were like trying to survive, Mm -hmm. right? Like the, the goal of having families was like, bring them together so that we can survive and hopefully thrive. Um, now for the most part, of course, not everywhere in the world, um, fear of, of survival of death is like, is, is lower, right? Like life expectancy, earning potential, all that stuff is higher now. Um, And so now we're in relationships for love. We want, we want it all, right? We want the safety, the security, the prosperity, but also the love and the intimacy and the emotional availability. And and so like, if you're struggling provide to, to provide and to get, to get all of that, like this is just a lot of expectations on people. So if you're struggling, it's totally, totally normal. This is all really hard stuff.
0: You're most likely doing the best you can. I love it. So before I let you go, Sean, I just want to uh, leave with like this one question. And it's, uh, if you had one piece of advice, you know, given your years of practicing this and growing yourself for, uh, someone that's single in, in modern society, and then a couple that's in a relationship, like just one kernel of advice. And I'm sure it's really hard to get to that. And it could be multiple things, but what would that be? And let's start with people that are single right now and, may, and looking for love and looking for connection and looking for a healthy, conscious partnership. It's okay to be single.
1: It's okay to be single and it's okay to feel lonely and it's okay to desire a special, loving, connected, committed, conscious relationship. It's okay to be disappointed that you're not there yet.
0: That's it. And then for people that are in a relationship that, you know, maybe past the honeymoon stage, you know, struggling, going through, you know, the monotony that everyone faces, uh, what's your, what's your advice for them to, you know, be healthier.
1: Talk about it, whatever it is. The fact that you're disappointed, disillusioned, the fact that you're, you feel lonely in your relationship, the The fact that you wish that you guys could have more sex or that you hate it when they do this talk about your stories growing up, talk about your wound, you know, like literally talk about everything that you are scared of talking about.
0: Well, Sean, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. It's been awesome. It's been a great hour talking to you and, and gaining some of your wisdom. And I could, I want to ask so many other questions, just like I'm sure a lot of followers, a lot of your followers do, but can you tell everyone where to find you, any new projects you're working on and what you got going on your side of things?
1: Yeah, people can find me on Instagram at The Love Drive. Um, I have six courses online that you can take. None of them are more than 150 bucks because I want to keep my stuff accessible. Um, healthy communication, emotional availability, getting your needs met, uh, how to gain more confidence. Those are sort of the, the topics that I talk about. All that stuff lives at Um, I'll send you links and you can just add those to the show notes. Okay. And that's it. This this year is sort of um scaling back the amount of time that I work as I like look for my next home. And uh, when I find that, then I'll have, uh, you know, sort of a more settled home space and I'll start doing courses again and uh, keep recording my podcast and there might be a secret TV thing happening behind the
0: scenes. So stay tuned for that awesome. Well, I'm excited for all of it. And also excited to find, find out where you land up because I know sort of the mountains, you know, call you a bit and I'm curious on what, what range you decide to, to land up on. It's a big, big piece, important part of our lives.
1: Yeah. Well, if you want to go climb Eldo sometime,
0: let me know. I'm always up for it. Would love to. Thank you so much, Sean. Uh, love to chat with you more eventually. And thanks for taking the time today. Thanks, Nico.